And, and Lord, it was Paul's prayer to the churches that they would abound more and more in love and in faith and in hope. And that's my prayer for us. And we know that it comes by as we keep our eyes on you. Sometimes we can get distracted with things that really don't matter a whole lot. Or we get distracted with the cares of the world and our busyness and all the other things. But Lord, what my prayer is this Christmas and this new year coming up, that we would continue on with you. That we would come every time we come into this place ready to hear your word and expectation that you want to work. We thank you for those who have gotten saved, given their lives to Jesus Christ, made commitments. I thank you for those who have recommitted their lives to him and, and come back to, to hear the word. And for those who are growing in your word and, and just knowing you more and loving you more. And Father, I thank you for your provision for us. And I know it gets crowded in here at times and it seems like we kind of run into each other. But Lord, I do pray that whatever you have for us, that we would just look to you and you'll provide because where you guide, you do provide. And Lord, that um, I pray that you would just continue working in the hearts of the kids. I see the nursery as it's just, um, man, all these little ones in there and more and more coming. And Lord, what a privilege it is to be able to minister to our children. And I thank you for those who are faithful and volunteer and and get lessons ready and reach out to the kids. And again, it's not an easy ministry, but Lord, what you have to say about children coming to you and Lord, the faith of a child and to be great is to receive a child. Lord, I know that you're pleased that those children would grow in your love and come to know you, especially in a world that is very hostile towards you. And trying to pull them away from truth. I pray for our middle schoolers and high schoolers and our young adults that they would come to know you. And Lord, there's so many distractions that are out there. and Distractions for us, for me, for, for our young people. There's so many voices that are out there. So many things to look on. So many things to, oh Lord, to just take us away from you. I pray that we would put those things aside when we can. And that when we come into this place, we would come in ready to to worship, whether we're out in the coffee shop or in here, ready to receive your word, ready to, to bless one another. That we would come with expectancy in our lives that not only do you want to work within these four walls, but outside these four walls. That we have opportunity to be a light in this community a light to those at work and other family members and neighbors. and Because we know that this world is getting darker and it's getting worse and it's getting more difficult. And Father, I want to pray for, for the marriages here. The Lord, that they would be strong. And Lord, that you would bring healing to those marriages that need healing. 
Lord, that you would bring restoration. You bring help. And Lord, I pray for those who have gone through loss. That you bring the comfort that they need and the strength that they need. Lord, that they would look to you, the one who desires to bring that. Father, I pray for those who are in challenging times, maybe financially with their health. I want to pray for Joe, who's in the hospital in, in Fort Collins and right now um, very sick. And we just pray for him. A brother that comes in and just a gentle spirit and has been here for a couple of years, just growing and, and loving the church and quiet. But Lord, you love him. And we lift him up and we just pray that you bring healing to him, that you touch him, minister to him and others who are sick. Others who maybe perhaps got colds to those who have more of, more of a physical infirmity that's going on. Lord, you know who they are. Pray for Shirley who's gone through so much. Lord, that you touch her and bless her and strengthen her. And Lord, I would pray for young people, those who are out in the world for the first time, are young adults. And again, there's so many challenges for them and it's a lot harder than it was for me 30 years ago. I, I know that, but I pray that they would understand that you're the one that gives abundant life, not this world. And your ways are good. And your ways are awesome. And you're the one that wants to bring goodness and joy and peace. It's not found in this world. But walking closely with you. I pray for those who feel lonely. And Lord, that they would perceive your presence. I Pray for those who may be confused for whatever reason it may be that you bring clarity and wisdom. For those who have to make important decisions that, Lord, that you would help them and speak to them in that still small voice. And, Lord, that you would use us to be a hospital to the hurting, to those who are wondering, to be a light to give hope, to give truth, to point people to Jesus and to keep our eyes on him. We come with expectation. We come with, Lord, excitement this year, knowing that it is a battle. It's not always going to be easy, but that you do want to work. And Lord, through it all, whatever it is that we go through individually as a family, as a church family, that we know that you are faithful. So, Lord, bless everyone this Christmas as we enter a new year. That we would just put our hope and our confidence in you. Knowing that your thoughts towards us are thoughts of peace and not of evil, because you are our future and hope. And that as we cry out to you, you will hear us. And as we seek you with all of our hearts, that you will be found. 
Lord, I pray that we would abound more and more in your love and in your hope and in your grace. And so, Lord, just teach us right now. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Chapter 22, we got as far as verse 7. We read in verse 7 that the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. And of course, through the book of Proverbs, we have seen that um, that being in debt, um, that the problem can be that uh, you're a slave to debt. And we can go through life, and perhaps a lot of us that have a home, maybe we have a mortgage and things that, you know, that we have. But the thing is, we don't want to overextend ourselves. It is interesting that when the Lord told the children of Israel, when you go into the promised land, remember he gave the blessings and the cursings. He says, if you follow after me, you're going to be blessed. If, if you go after other gods, there's going to be curses that are going to come. And one of the blessings for following after him is that they would be ones that would be a lender to other nations. They would be a blessing to other nations in that way. But one of the curses was is that they were going to be in debt to other nations. And they uh, were going to be ones that were going to be bankrupt. And, and I think about our own nation that you know, over a generation ago that we were a nation that lended to the world. We still do today, but we do it out of our debt. And, and now look at us as we're entering into $20 trillion in debt and, and being enslaved to it. So the Bible has a lot to say about, you know, don't be a slave, you know, to, you know, those um, to debt and um, being in debt. Be a good steward of what the Lord has given to you. In verse 8, he who sows iniquity will reap sorrow and the rod of his anger will fail. So here is a very important verse, not only for ourselves, because we know the spiritual truth that whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. And as Galatian tells us, if you sow seeds to the spirit of the spirit, you'll reap to everlasting life. But if you sow into the flesh of the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. And that's a biblical truth for every single one of us. None of us are exempt from that. So what it is that we're sowing today is going to end up uh, is what we're going to see as a crop that's going to come up and what we're going to be reaping in the future. So we want to be sowing unto the Spirit. We want to be sowing unto the things of the Lord. But here, as Proverbs tells us, something very important, he who sows iniquity will reap sorrow, or that is trouble. We've already seen that we've been told that, that the way of the transgressor is difficult. And this is a verse that I hope that parents, that we teach our children as well. One of the things that I want to teach my children and have talked to them about, that if you're going to live after the world in carnality and worldly pleasure, it's going to be a hard life. And those of us who have been around long enough, we see that in people's life, perhaps even experience, unfortunately, in your own life, that the way of transgressor is hard. And those who sow iniquity, you know, it's going to reap sorrows what's going to happen. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be sorrow in your life, and, and it's going to do you in. And that's why it's a loving Father that says to us that here is the way to live, to experience that abundant life, to be blessed, and to be fulfilled in life. And, and I pray that we're understanding that and then applying it in our lives that the way to really live life, the way it was meant to be lived, is live for him. The world will leave you empty and troubled. 
You see, Satan's a great deceiver. He thinks if you pursue the world, now we're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. I understand we have jobs and and things that we enjoy doing, but listen, make the Lord the priority in his ways. And as you do, you're going to be blessed and you're going to be strong and you're going to be one that is going to experience the peace of the Lord and the comfort of the Lord and the provision of the Lord. You're just going to be fulfilled and satisfied in life. But if you go after the world, you're going to reap trouble. And it's going to be difficult. You may have pleasure for a season. The scripture says that there's pleasure in sin for a season. But the end of its way is destruction. And the end of its way is to do you in. And that's what the enemy does. The master deceiver is dangle that carrot in front of you to get you off track from the Lord and get your eyes off of the Lord. And to begin to go after the ways of the world and the pleasures of the world. Don't be deceived. Keep close to the Lord. Keep living for him and you'll be blessed. In verse 9, and he who has a generous eye will be blessed. And he who gives um, of his bread to the poor, verse 9 tells us, blessing uh, it is to give to those who have need, those who are generous, um, you know, to give to others. Life isn't just about getting, uh, but to give. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that you know, um, that we're to steal no longer, but work with your hands that you may have something to give to those who have need. And I like to tie this verse in here to what we just saw in, in um, verse 7, that, um, that we are to be ones that not into where we're so overextended that we're not able to give to others. You know, you're so in debt. There, I've talked to so many people who said we're so overextended. And, and for whatever reasons it may be, sometimes it's, you know, because they just got themselves in a difficult circumstance. But as we just are ones that we continue to work and be good stewards of what God's given to us, you'll find it be a tremendous blessing to be able to give. As a church, I want to be able to give. I want to be able to give to those, invest in the kingdom, those in need. And it's a you know, wonderful thing for us to be able to do as a church and it's a wonderful thing for you to be able to do, to be able to just give to those who have need and you'll be tremendously blessed, to be generous. Um, And then verse 10, to cast out the scoffer and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. You know, a scoffer or somebody who's critical, always negative, it can be very difficult to deal with. Whether it's somebody at work or in your extended family, or even in the church. When Paul was writing to Titus, that young pastor, he said, reject a divisive person after the first and second admonition. And the reason that Paul wrote that is because certainly you want there to be a coming together and an understanding and restoring of relationships and clarity and all that. But sometimes if you get somebody who's very critical and just is always contentious and, you know, full of strife and arguing and bringing up problems, it's very, very hard. And what happens is, is it brings distraction to that workplace. It brings such a distraction to a family. It brings distraction to a church. He would write in the book of Romans that live peaceably with all men. That's what we are to desire to go the extra mile, to be patient and long-suffering with one another, 
to talk with one another. But as he said, live peaceably with all men, he said, if possible. Because I think that Paul realized that there are some cases, very few, but there are cases where it's not possible, where that person of contention will be there. And here Proverbs says that cast out the scoffer and contention will leave, one who's negative, one who's just always looking for a fight and the stirred up difficulties and problems. And it's true. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. Now compared that to verse 11, which we are to be about, he who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. And that is what we are to do, to have purity, to have grace, to have our speech seasoned with, with grace and with salt, be a blessing to others. And isn't it wonderful to be around those who are that way? If you had a choice to be around somebody who's always contentious and negative and scoffing and, and putting you down and, and all of this, or somebody who's going to lift you up and be generous and it's going to be their speech of grace and no corrupt word proceed out of their mouth, but what is necessary for edification, grace to the hearer, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, would you rather be with them or the one who's full of contention? You know, we'd rather be with the one who's a blessing, And yeah, there are times where we're going to have to bring rebuke and correction. I I get that. But our overall attitude towards others is desiring to be a blessing to others and to lift them up and have that gentle spirit and purity in our hearts. In verse 12, the eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge and he overthrows the words of the faithless. And so God's truth will always stand and the wicked will be exposed. In verse 13, the lazy man says, there's a lion outside. I shall be slain in the streets. And that's what laziness does. Always finding an excuse. You know, always finding an excuse not to do what they need to be doing or what they're called to do. And I can't do it because there's a lion in the street and he's going to eat me up. A lame excuse. And that's what laziness can do. And then in verse 13, 14, the mouth, the mouth that is of an immoral woman or anyone is a deep pit. And he who is abhorred by the Lord will fall there. So verse 14, a rebellious person that is against God will be drawn to a perverse lifestyle and will cause them to be just a deep pit in their lives. And you don't want them to drag you down in that deep pit because that's what will happen. So you want to make sure that, you know, you just want to be careful who it is that you link yourself to. doesn't mean we don't minister to them. It doesn't mean that we don't care about them. But just remember that an immoral person is a deep pit and, and you know, they're going to fall in that deep pit and you don't want to go with them. In verse 15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child and the rod of correction will drive it far from him. And so speaking of discipline, not abuse, need to bring correction to our children. We do it out of love because it's necessary just as the Lord corrects us as well. In verse 16, he who oppresses the, the poor to increase his riches and he who gives to the rich will surely come to poverty. Verse 16, remember that the poor has a very special place in God's heart <clears throat> and we're not to take advantage of people just so we can get more riches. You know, we're not to take advantage of people, especially those who may be perhaps more vulnerable to be taken advantage of. That the widows and the orphans and the poor and, you know, all of them have a very, very special place in God's heart. 
and we're to help them, not take advantage of them. And then in verses 17 through 21, now, at this point in the book of Proverbs, what we're going to see is the verses are more linked together. Um, They're more grouped together than what we've gone through over the last several weeks. These chapters that we've gone over, each verse is a single proverb, kind of a single thought. But now we're going to be able to go at a little bit more of a quicker pace because they're linked together as we see here in verse 17. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. For it is pleasant thing if you keep them within you and let them all be fixed upon your lips so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have instructed you today, even you, have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge. In verse 21, that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth, that you may answer words of truth to those who send to you. So in, here in verses 17 through 21, Solomon is going to speak on know the the issues here and he he wants us to pay attention notice here in verse 17 that he says that you're to hear incline your ear and hear the words of the wise whenever you go through scripture you see that to be able to hear it means pay attention this is important if you have a king james for example in the gospels when jesus says verily verily Uh, I say unto you. What he's saying is listen up. That's very unique to Jesus as he would say that preaching to the multitudes or to the disciples. That listen up. Pay attention to this. We've already seen in Luke's gospel that he would say to the crowds and to his disciples, he who has an ear, let him hear. And then in Revelations chapters 2 and 3, the seven letters to the seven churches. And, you know, the interesting thing about the book of Revelation, I love the book of Revelation, but I think that chapters 2 and 3 are some of the richest chapters of the book of Revelation and in all of the New Testament because this is Jesus writing the letter to these churches. Seven literal churches and he's commending them, giving them positive affirmation of, of the things they were doing well and, and then correcting them. A negative, you know, correction and not really negative, but important correction. You know, this is where you're falling short. This is what you need to repent of. And at the end of each one of those seven letters, he would say that he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, that you and I are to pay attention to those letters because it's interesting. What if the Lord was to write you a letter? What if he was to write me a letter? I think that's an important consideration. Lord, are there some things in my life and I think he does write a letter on the tablets of our hearts that you want me to, you know, turn away from, be corrected in my life. And what my hope and prayer is that, that he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to you. And what would he say if he wrote a letter to this church? And that's a very convicting kind of thing as I think about it. So the Lord desires to speak to us. So to hear what he has to say and then to apply it in verse 17. Because wisdom, what is wisdom? It's not just having a head knowledge, but it's getting it to where you apply it in your life. That's true wisdom. I've known people that they know the scriptures. They know the scriptures better than I do, frontward and backwards, but they don't apply it in their lives. And for me, if I don't apply what the word of God declares and how I am to live in a life pleasing to him, then I'm living foolishly. So I'm not living in wisdom. 
So we're to apply it. And then in verse 18, we're to keep it. It's a pleasant thing if you keep them within you. That's what we're to do. And, and to keep it, that means that, that you don't let go of it. You don't say, oh, I tried this Christianity thing for a while, and then it just forget about it. I've had people tell me that. Oh, I went to church when I was young. You know, but I got other things to do. To keep these things that are taught to us and that we're learning. And then also, as we read uh, in verse 18, let them be fixed upon your lips, that as you speak it, that not only do you know it, but you're going to speak it in your life. And then also he goes on to say, hey, uh, these wise sayings that we've been learning about, verse 19, to trust. And so that your trust may be in the Lord and we are to trust in him, what his word declares, what his word is given to us. Whenever I have somebody that comes to me and says, well, I know what God's word has to say, but you know, I think I'm going to go another direction. I think I'm going to take the advice of the world. I think I'm going to do something different. They're not trusting in the word. Trust in the Lord with what? All of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Listen. Sometimes in our lives and oftentimes... Lord, I hear what your word says. I don't know how it's going to work out practically. I don't know exactly how you're going to make this work, but he's the mighty God. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. That means there's nothing too difficult for him to work. And there are times in our lives, and I know in my life, that he's teaching me this more and more, that I need to remember that he's mighty God. And I don't lean on my own understanding, but I lean on him and trust in his word. And as I do that, he will direct my path. So that's a promise that he gives to you and to me. So we're to trust in him and then be instructed in godly counsel and knowledge, verses 19 and 20. That I've been instructed you today. Have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge? The, the word of God is excellent. These are excellent things that, that we are studying. And then also in verse 21, to know truth and to answer truth to others, as we read, that I may know, make you know the certainty of the words of truth that you may answer words of truth to those who send to you. You can't speak it to others and you can't answer truth to others unless you know the truth. So continue in the scriptures. In verse 22, do not rob the poor because he is poor nor oppress the afflicted at the gate for the Lord will plead their cause and plunder the soul of those who plunder them. So again, as we've seen that God cares for the poor and Jesus was poor, didn't have anywhere to lay his head. But those of us who are in Christ, that we are rich in the best sense of the word, but we are not to rob the poor, take advantage of them, afflict them because they are special in God's eyes. In verse 24, make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man do not go lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. So again, talking about befriending an angry, out of control person and what will happen is you'll learn his ways. Uh, You'll learn to be angry and it'll end up being a snare to you. We are told that we are to put off anger, aren't we? We're to put it off. And we are to put on gentleness and kindness and long-suffering. That's the work of the Spirit. 
In verse 26, we read, do not be one of those who shake his hands in a pledge and one of those who is a surety for debts. If you have nothing in which to pay, why should he take away your bed from under you? So in other words, you know, uh, don't overextend yourself financially. You know, don't co-sign on a loan. And uh, if you lose out, you know, you're going to lose a lot on it. Just be wise in all of that. So a good word given to uh, perhaps some of us. And in verse 28, do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. Um, I like this because when I read this and consider it, it reminds me of what Paul wrote in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. Paul's writing to this church. Listen. In the context here of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he's writing the second letter to this church because they thought that we're in the day of the Lord. We're in the tribulation. And he says, listen, don't be shaken in mind, you know, troubled by spirit or by word or a letter. Somebody was writing a letter with forging Paul's name saying, hey, you're in the day of the Lord. You're in the tribulation period, man. You missed the rapture of the church. And so they were troubled. So Paul's writing to them about that. Here, I'm going to remind you. Don't you remember we talked about these things before? And he reminds them about the rapture of the church, the day of the Lord, and all this. But then he goes on and he says, Therefore, brethren, because of what I just said, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. In other words, you know, sometimes we read that and we think, well, didn't Jesus rebuke the religious leaders because of their traditions? Uh, what Paul is writing about is the word of God that has been given to you through epistle or, you know, what I have taught to you, inspired by God, that you are to hold on to those things. And listen, as we enter into 2017, the world's going to say, abandon the word of God. There are those who come along and say, the Bible needs to be changed. The Bible, you know, needs to be updated. It needs to catch up with our culture. No, our culture needs to catch up with the word of God. And the word of God, here's the thing. The grass is going to fade. And the flower is going to wither away. But the word of God is going to stand forever. So the word of God doesn't change. And we're to stand on the word of God. That's what Paul is saying. You know, you stand on the word of God. And that's what we're being told here in the book of Proverbs chapter 22. The fathers have set the ancient landmarks, the word of God given to us. And we're privileged to know it and to stand on it. And then in verse 29, do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. You know, I I believe that the Lord really wants to help us in whatever it is that we do in our business and in our jobs to do it well, to do it with excellence. Not only in performing our jobs or doing our business, but to have that excellent spirit within us. That's what we see with Joseph. When he went to Egypt, he was the head of Potiphar's house. He was the steward. He's only 17 years old. Potiphar said, you know what? You take care of everything. And then, you know, it was... Potiphar's wife that made advances towards him. He, he left. He said, how can I do this great wickedness before my God? She falsely accused him of making those advances. He ends up in prison for about 12 years. I mean, think about it. Just a couple more minutes and we're done. Think about it. Joseph. There he is in prison in Egypt, in ancient Egypt. It wasn't easy. 
And he did his best to minister to the prisons where it says that the ruler, the jailer down there made him the one that was the head of the prison and ministering to others because he honored the Lord and did the best that he could. And God honored his life and blessed his life. You know that he would eventually become the prime minister of Egypt. We see Daniel, who was determined not to defile himself in his heart, and God blessed that and honored him, and he was used mightily. I think of Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the king, and he was the one that came back to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Listen, do the very best. Have an excellent spirit. Trust in the Lord, and he will honor that, and he will bless that in every way. And everything that we do, we do it hardly as what? Unto the Lord. Why don't we stop there? We'll pick it up next year, okay? In chapter 23. So, Father, we thank you. Thank you for this time together, just be able to share some things. And as we're going to be closing Wednesday nights for the year and then starting up again, we just want to continue and growing in the word. And, Lord, I thank you for tonight. And I do pray that, um, again that these couple days that we have that would be focused on you and, Lord, rejoicing in you, the giving of your son, the giving of your son, freely and willingly, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You've given us everlasting life through faith in Jesus. You've given us your promises. You've given us your spirit. You've given us your word. Father, I pray that this Christmas and this new year that we would desire to have an excellent spirit within us to strengthen us and to guide us in every decision that we make. Every problem that we face, that we look to you, the mighty God. Decisions that we make, we go to the wonderful counselor. And Lord, that we would take your word and work it in our hearts and have it be applied in our lives and to speak truth to others, to be a light. So Lord, I thank you for tonight and the things that we talked about and prayed about. I pray you bless everyone here now as we go away. And for those who are traveling again, keep them safe. And who won't be with us Christmas Eve because of family gatherings and things. And just bless their time. Help us wherever we are to be a light. And to trust in you. And to lean on, on our own understanding. And not to be anxious but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving that we can let our requests be known to you and the peace of God that passes understanding will be a garrison, a guard in our hearts and in our minds. We need you, Lord. Bless everyone here now as we go our way. In Jesus' name, amen.